Truth be told, coming up uh, with an introduction for my next guest has been quite a challenge. Not be- not only because of the great talent and gift that he carries, but it's also because it's a little bit hard to introduce somebody who's literally like a brother to you. So I had to start the intro over and over again just to be able to try and catch the essence of who he is. Um, I remember when I first met Eddie, um, it was at one of the biggest award shows in Africa. I think it was the AMVCAs and the year was 2012, if I'm not mistaken, in Lagos, Nigeria. Um, now, if you know anything about the Nigerian stage, you either sink or fly. There's no in between at all. And that stage, Nigeria's comedy scene was so huge. It was literally like, OK, this Congolese guy's going to come. He's going to do what? He better make us laugh or... And when he went on stage, not only did he make people laugh, but he literally stole the show at the biggest award show in Africa. There is no doubt that when it comes to an African entertainer that is touching the world and Africa at the same time, Eddie is that guy. He touches the sky and manages to remain grounded and always makes room for people who are on the come up. He's an award-winning comedian and actor, and you've probably seen him um, do some contributions on CNN lately. He's also an avid dancer, but who can deny that? Since he is Congolese, yes, I did just throw in that stereotype. But he's also an activist and passionate about his African story. As Africans, there is a belief that children are the products of their parents' dreams. And this is certainly the case with Eddie Cardi. He left Zaire, which is now Democratic Republic of Congo, at the age of eight years old, only speaking Lingala and French. But since he, since then, um, since he was a child, he was always very sure and confident in the person that he was. I think there was a time when somebody actually asked him if he spoke African. And, you know, Eddie did what Eddie did. And he literally corrected. To them. He studied at the University of Kingston. His parents, um, or he also joined the Afro-Caribbean Society where he was the president. And it was here that his comedy career officially launched because they were not able to book other people. From those days till now, where his journey as a comedian has been to make people laugh across the world. And he's become one of the most beautiful images of Congo, a country that, tend, that generally tends to get a lot of bad press. And to quote my dear friend, Eddie Cardi, I believe my parents brought me to this country to go back and make our home country a better one for them. Every African is looking for gold, but it's always been in their pocket. He embraces his culture. He's been screaming about Congo swag and Africa being important way before it was popular. And it is no surprise that he's our next guest on Africa State of Mind because he's changing the narrative one laugh at a time. Eddie, how's that? Oh, my God. You never knew I was smart, did you? (laughs) Whoa! I'm looking behind me. You're like... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This this is not my show. Who's coming? Not my interview. Who is she trying to interview? Eddie, let's talk a little bit about some of the stereotypes around Africa. And in your case with Congolese people, uh, the whole idea of people dancing a lot, which, I mean, when I was, you know, in Uganda and everything, like with my family and everything... Like the Congolese culture was always so huge in the whole of East Africa. You guys were like dominant for a long time, you know, in terms of what yeah. is popular culture and everything, you know. Um, but like for you, when you moved to the UK, uh, I, I want you to share the story about how you used to tell people how you had to defend your family as a seven-year-old. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, 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 you know what? I think it was, um, it just made sense to 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 <laughs> to come to come with that because that the whole idea was people needed um, to hear an exciting story, mm. otherwise it was boring and and you sort of just blended in. 
And it was based on a lot of ignorance as well. I think people, you know, people were really ignorant when they were young. They just, they just assumed wherever you're coming from, they, you know, especially with Africa, there's war, you know, um, or there's no food, there's no water. But for me, when, like it was that when I was young, I'll I say, you know, when I was young, you know, the, in Congo, we always got war, there's always war. You know, I experienced war 24-7. In fact, you know, we, we had bullets for breakfast. You know, we couldn't we couldn't even sleep. Like, I had to look after my mom. I had to look after my mom for so so much that I couldn't sleep. Like, I couldn't blink. Yeah. You know, that's why, you know, the average Congolese doesn't know how to blink. Because <laughs> we, we don't even have to wink. Yeah. We can't even wink romantically at a woman. We have to use our mouth and our nose. You know, that's the way we have to move our mouths and our nose because that's that's every human being must be able to move something, you know, just 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 by law, just yeah. by biology. And because you can't blink, use alternatives. And Congolese people now instead of winking at a woman, they'll use their mouth. Yeah. You know? They'll use their nose. And me that's the story I used to tell people when I was young. I used to be like this and we, we went for war and everyone would be so excited. You know, it was just, it was just, and people, the fact people that, you know, some people believe that it's life. It's just life. Now, also, people always talk about how comedians come from a dark place, you know, um, and, and how they, yeah. you know, they're hiding something. There's some deep thing or they need to go see a psychologist or they're crazy or something like that. And it's quite fascinating, you know, because you come from a, a part of the world, you know, where people are always like, everybody there is so sad. It's like things are so bad, you know, and you actually yeah. have bright and like happy memories memories of you know yeah. growing up as a you growing up in in Zaire which is now DRC and also just you know yeah. being Congolese can you share a bit of that yeah you know the whole notion of every comedian must have a dark story like, come on it's a lie mm. it's a lie yeah, I come from a happy home mm. um I, you know I came from a big family on both sides mm. you know my, my, my granddad was a village chief he's the Igwe you know wow. king you know, so, um, yeah, and he had 23 kids, uh, you know, and um, so I came, I lived in, we lived in a, a, a sort of big compound. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I was loved, I was the first grandson, so I was the second grandchild of the, the family. Mm. So I was absolutely loved on my mom's side as well, very close to um, my, my, my mom's mother. And, you know, it was happy times. I had, you know, cousins. My dad's uh, siblings were my, 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 my age mates. So you can imagine I had aunties and uncles that were my age mates and they were still insisting. Wow. I called them auntie and uncle. But I remember in, in Congo June, that time in Zaire, you know, um, th- there was food. Food available. I went, I went to school. After school, you'd be playing around. You know, there was a time in Africa when it rained, you ran outside and ran around. It was yeah. just fine. Yeah. You know, like... I was I was a happy child, and even though during you know the the, the 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 political situation started to happen, I was kind of too young to be able to really understand it. You know, I was mm. I was protected from that. Mm. You know, and and not just that, it was always exaggerated. I think people were always put to, uh, put off coming to Africa because you know they. they they didn't want to share the beauty that is Africa to the rest of the world, mm. and especially to the children in Africa. And I've always, I've always thought that it was always prepared that those children of Africa who will grow up in a diaspora must be put off so they don't go back home and invest. So they must also fall into that line of, no, don't go home, there's mines. Don't go home, there's poverty. Sure. Don't go home, there's nothing to achieve, there's no space. Mm. So uh, but I have a totally different story. Mm. Good man. 
Sure. I like what you say. I mean, especially the part about how children who are in the diaspora are always almost told, don't go home, you know, because yeah. there's nothing there. And, and you actually Absolutely. travel quite a lot back to not just to Congo, but like around the continent, you know, you, yeah, you, man. you're, you're literally Mr. Africa or something like that. <laughs> I'm not saying you're a beauty queen, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Let's also talk a little bit about just that whole transition because, you know, when, when, yeah. when, the, when the DRC was first Zaire and then there was a change in government, there was a change in country name, yeah. there was a change in flag, yeah. that's so similar to also what happened within South Africa, you know, and it was, it's like... Mm-hmm. Um, such a it was such a moment in history for everybody you know yeah. and and yeah. for you as somebody from Congo um and also just sitting around the table with with your parents and with your aunties and 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 family and everything what were their thoughts and feelings like you know what was the heart of the average Congolese person when all these changes were happening with the change of the flag the change of the name the change of leadership what you know if you can remember any of that at all you know on it's from different layers because they affected different people Differently, if mm-hmm. I may say so. So you had people who grew up during the independence time, during the, the Patrice Lumumba era, you know, who can vividly remember mm-hmm. um, uh, independence, the so-called independence happening, and it, you know, them not just being met half, not being met halfway. You mm-hmm. know, they remember the assassination of of Lumumba. You know, his yeah. death and all that, that whole ordeal. So then it's like. For those people who experienced that, they never really got to experience independence, as, uh, as they say. So when they got to that stage of where you know the whole history of Zaire and that whole how that came about, and then you had this man come in, and I think kind of take it back to what independence should have really been. You know, the original uh, Congo uh, prior to the Belgians. You know that 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 kind of vibe. But a lot of people was like, that's right. This is what it's supposed to. We really felt free. Because we were we were shortchanged, and then you have someone like myself who grew up as you know uh, Zaire, a boy from Zaire. Um, at, at the time, I wasn't too brushed up on my history, but I was uh, comfortable in being you know Zaire. And then there was Congo, you know, the Republic of Congo next door. You know, they had their identity mm-hmm. as we looked at it. And then this name is now changed, and it's like, oh my God, that what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know that. Like, we, uh, we, 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 what's happening here? How can we change the whole flag and then change the whole country? Mm. It's like no, no one's been consulted here. Like, <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> they, they didn't call the village. What happened? We're looking at like 98, 99. I have to explain to my friends that I'm, I've been living a lie. Like, you know, like, who does this? Yeah. But it was, it was also a new beginning. Like, mm. it was, there was that feeling of uh, wipe away. Um, you know, like, like I'm not going to paint a beautiful picture of of, of Zaire. Mm. You know, everything every, when it comes to politics, I know that there's always a, a bit that serves the people, but then there's another bit that also holds the people uh, down. Mm. You know, and I think Zaire had that. So there was a sense of freedom for those that lived back home. There was a celebration because they had enough of of they wanted change. Mm. You know, they they wanted to be able to fly. But then from those in the diaspora, there was sort of like. When we go home, uh, who are we? Like, sure, yeah. Our identity has changed. We are, we're not mm. part of that process. It was really crazy, and that, mm. and that created a lot of animosity. But that also created a lot of um, sort of there was distance. There was we felt this distance from 
Zahir is gone. You're not going back to Zahir. Imagine leaving home, yeah. one, you know, and then you come back and they've totally changed everything. It's not even the same door number. So in a weird way, you might not even find your door. Like, it's crazy. Sure. That's like literally waking up one day and your whole name, your whole identity has just totally changed, you know? And you were not even there when the... And I, and I suppose, you know, you've put it in such a way that I, I didn't actually imagine because if you're somebody living in the diaspora, and I guess even more so for your parents, you know, if they're in the diaspora, yeah. you know, because you, yeah. you were obviously pretty young, and then all of yeah. a sudden, like to be watching from the outside in, you know, and I, and I feel like this is something that is so common, even when you look at people, you know, from Zimbabwe and everything, when you watch what's going on in your country from the outside in, it's always quite yeah. like... You know, you're almost like you want to be there, but how do you even deal with the change of identity? How do you, you know, make Absolutely. sure that you remain connected? Yeah, that's, I never Absolutely. actually thought of it from that perspective, but it's literally waking up with a new you name. Go home. You go home and you, you know what, there's that feeling of you guys didn't experience this change. You know, you're, mm. you're, you're still stuck in the old time. That's how it, they are because you, they, as far as they're concerned, you left for a reason mm. um, and you've come, and that reason no longer exists. So now <laughs> you become wow. like and you make this whole process. Yeah. You know, so now you start feeling like you're a diluted uh, Congolese or a Zion, you know. All of a sudden you're like, okay, well, we had the rumble in the jungle, those big historical moments. Yeah. It's like we had, we had, we had the, uh, the, the Lumumba situation, yeah. you know. Um, you know, other, other things that happened throughout that time. It's like, what does that, what does it mean for us now? Nothing. Do we connect yeah. those issues together? Do you always have to explain things twice? Do you always sure. like? Do we always have to re-explain this? It's crazy. Yeah, because you're basically you're explaining your your identity and your authenticity, not only being Absolutely. in in you know in Europe in the UK, sorry, but also being you know going back home. You've got to re-explain, yeah. which is the story of yeah. many people who's you know who've had to leave. It's and I think it's something that is not discussed often. You know, everybody thinks that oh, if you've left and you know in South Africa, when people talk about you know people leaving in leaving South Africa in exile or all these things, you know, different people who've left their Absolutely. home countries. And nobody ever understands that whole middle phase, which I think you articulated so well, you know? No, it's, it's true. And also, you know, in, in talking about it, it, it something, the common denominator is that people leave during tough times. Yeah. Right? So that whole notion of, you know, you, you, you don't understand because you weren't here during those tough times. You ran that's away. Already, that's already <laughs> bad enough. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. That's already bad enough. The, the Nigerians use the word um, ajebota. Yeah. Which yeah. I learned. Yeah, very, which I learned very quickly because uh, in, in because you are an agile butter. I know now. Eh. Soft hands, which means butter hands. Yeah, and soft hands. Yeah, it's soft. can't handle anything. Yeah, you know, hard African slats you die. So you know your hands cannot cannot produce such slats. But <laughs> that's the, that's the situation with most people. Like you go home and they look at you like, what do you know? You don't understand. Yeah. You've been receiving massages and and, and and the real pure water for a long time. You don't know what pain is. But here the bridge is completely, like, just completely just burnt. And, and we need to rebuild that. Is that you leave one place looking for an easier life. And then you go to the other place and it actually is 10 times harder. So much harder than you expected because, A, you have to fit in. A, you have to justify. Then you have to educate. Then you have to handle all the resentment. Mm. And then it's like, you're going home and say, that feeling of going home is like, oh, let me go where I belong. Let me go where, and then you go and show the same thing, now you're in limbo. Mm. It's like they're playing ping pong with your life. 
Yeah. Go back to London. You are British. And you go to the but UK. They're like, like you African. African. Go home. Come <laughs> during the Olympic Games. No, yeah. both sides of my cheeks are red. I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Eddie, let's get on to your comedy. Um, you know, I, yep. I, I love the way how I just love the fact that your comedy has always been centered around almost telling the African story. And and just, you know, the Absolutely. you know, as we all know, you know, when you grow up in an African household, no matter where you are, you know, um, if you, you your family, your parents always speak in very specific accents. Number one, it is very yeah. specific, no matter how modernized you feel. Yeah. And even when yeah, we speak yeah. to our parents, we change the way we speak because they're like, what's this? What's this? <laughs> <laughs> like my father, when literally whenever I speak about my, people are like, and you articulated it well. Everyone's like, whenever you talk about your dad, why do you speak in that accent? I'm like, yeah, because it's like, I can't imitate or say what my dad said and do it in the way I'm speaking now. My father's like, Nabunya, why have you not, what is really, you know, it's like that whole like, over passionate self and and just talk yeah. to us about just the importance of bringing your identity and your very real life experiences into creativity and in your case into comedy you know and how that this has been a differentiator for you as a comedian now Lee, you, know, you know what's most crazy is that i could sit here and uh, create the romantic fairy tale story of you know, when I was growing up, I was so proud of my culture that I thought that identity was the center of my life, that it was important, I'll be lying. Mm. But one thing that's important is that it was just there. It mm. was just so organic. Um, there's never been a phase of my life where I felt like, I, I felt like anything other than an African. Mm. Like, it was, I made peace with that very early on in my life. Like, because I loved it. Mm. I loved every aspect of it. Mm. The thing that people were ashamed of, I embraced. Sure. Because... As a as an eight year old, nine year old here in the UK, I, I left with memories of of feeling free, you know, memories of of culture, dancing in the middle of the streets, and my, my my aunties and my uncles, you know, just clapping me along and being able to uh, really connect with with the music, with the with the singing, with the food, you know, like just the the substance in the food. How amazing was the different array of food? Then you come to the UK, no disrespect, then you don't see colours, you don't see the array. Mm. Of, of colors in your food, you know? But all those things were a part of me, so much so that I think they naturally birthed... Um, and because also I didn't see this around me, I, it stood out even more. Like, from early mm. on, I held on to my language. I held on to my mother tongue. As I was learning Lingala, um, I, what I, the funny thing is, I was speaking French and Lingala fluently. Which is... French a lot of people from Zaire slash DRC don't exactly. speak both. And you're in the UK, yeah, which is it, quite huge. Yeah, yeah, but this is the thing, right? This is this is me younger, so you know, pe- people do connect um, speaking a colonial language to education because, like in school, French is the academic language. You don't speak the mother tongue. Yeah. you speak that at home. Yeah. So then, when I came here, naturally for me it was like I'm gonna when I go to school until I learn English, I'm gonna be speaking everyone in French, right? Yeah. But then, my parents always spoke to me in Lingala at so, home. Yeah. They made sure. That's that's one thing they always did. They had their reasons. They wanted me to do to connect with the family. So then, as I'm growing up, though, English is taking over French. It's not taking over Lingala. Lingala was firm. Mm. Because Lingala took me to a different place. Mm. You know, they, they say if you can speak your language, then your identity is firm to the ground. Like Your, your, your language really identifies you. So for me, it was like the French started to go, and Lingala and English started to take over kind of thing. Fortunately for me, I reached a stage where the French was still there, somewhere lurking around if I needed it, 
kind of thing, but it was English and Lingala. So I was I always identified with the African side to me. So growing up, getting to a stage where with my stand up, it was just so easy for me where people looked at for wow, we get it, we understand. He, you know, this guy is really telling our stories in a way we, we we have not been able to. But for me, I was being genuine. So when I was talking about my parents, you know, even though I think using the authentic, the very strong West African accent, but people got it because that's something that in a weird way people would laugh at, people should laugh at. But now people laugh with. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, those who hid away from the accent were not able to use it because it's like, I can't just talk as if my dad is some middle-aged Englishman. Yeah. He's a Congolese man. He's an African man. And African people express themselves differently. Yeah. Like, you know, you also need to pass the remote control. An Englishman was just like, grab the control, please. Simple. Yeah. But I was remote. I don't know why this remote continues to leave my hand. And it will give you a whole story of why the remote is never near him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so, it's, it's all, that's always the case. Yeah. Like, if your dad is upset with you, he's, he's upset and he gives you tone. He's, it's a performance. Yeah. It's never just, you know, I'm really not happy with you, you need to fix it. Because what am I going to do with you? Eh? Yeah. I don't even understand how God allowed me to bring such into this world. Is that. So <laughs> it's all the I dramatics. About, yeah. yeah, it's always, it's always over dramatic. And mm. I, always, I always tell a story of the moment where my parents, uh, my dad telling me, you know, um, fell in love with my comedy. Yeah. And I would say very clearly, he was very upset. My dad was upset that I was doing comedy because his whole thing was, how can I come to con- uh, to London and, you know, you want to become a clown of all the things you could have become. I could have put your cousins in and they would have been doctors and lawyers that you could be a clown in Congo. That was my dad. <laughs> and then, you know, one day he came to watch me perform and I remember this vividly. And everyone was laughing. It was my, my, you know, one of my early shows. And my sister convinced my dad to come and watch me. And everybody was laughing. Everybody, the whole place. You know, you're giving you your best show. Yeah. And my dad was just nodding. He just looked around, nodding, like just nodding in approval. But it was almost like, what's this guy doing? Like, he don't be laughing. So at the end of the show, I went to my dad. I was like, Dad, you know, I'm pretty upset. Very curious to understand. And my dad was like, That was wonderful. Oh, I didn't know you were so talented. This is good. I'm like, But you didn't even laugh. Like, what kind of man are you? What kind of monster are you? Like, if yeah. I said, I'm a demon. And my dad looked at me and goes, oh, I was just, I said, my dad, you kept nodding. You just kept nodding. He said, yes. That's because I was counting the money. 20 pounds, 20 pounds, 20 pounds. Oh, my God. Time to answer. This is fantastic. There is a career here. That's my dad. <laughs> because you <laughs> can see. My career. He saw the math. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's like, and that's so true of so many African parents. You know, it's like you've just got to prove once you get their success, then everybody, because I mean, a lot of people that we know come in like Wiz and everything, I'm sure their parents are now, I have supported, I have supported Ayo since ah, he was, you know, but, but when you're making the decisions before, everybody's like, hmm, this ah, one's a clown, you know. Ah, <laughs> no- my dad, yeah, Eddie was always funny, you know, he was always the, the heart of the family. My dad was hot. <laughs> I was not about that. He was at the center of laughter. He could, even from when he was young. You know, he's like his grandfather because his grandfather was a story. Imagine. Guy. And all the time you needed his support. Your father was not there. He was like, this one wants to be a clown. What have I done? You, you said I was a clown. <laughs> and now, really, I was the heart of the family. I was not the heart of the I was a pancreas. Yeah. <laughs> I was a toenail. Yeah. <laughs> <Stop it. laughs> 
Now, Eddie, let's, let's get into um, some more of some of just the successes that you've had. Um, I think it was in 2010, you, because, okay, so basically there was a news report that went out because you um, you and your crew, I think it was Black Grape Cartel. I don't yeah, want to know why yeah. you guys had, like, gangster names like that, you know. <laughs> I'm like, the cartel. I'm like, guys. <laughs> gangster, man. Yeah, gangster. Uh, you're at Edge of Butter, please. There's no gangster. So... <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, yeah, we were gangsta. Yeah, gangsta. Yeah, but now I'm um, so there was a news report that went out because um, the O2 Arena is obviously one of the world's most celebrated kind of you know performance theaters or performance um, state yeah. arenas basically, and so. Here comes this young African guy, you know, who was basically performing at, you know, in stages. He was doing remixes of like um, um, Monica and Brandy, the boy's mine. You know, he was there. He's very proud of his African accent. Like, seriously, your accent is so hectic when you flip into it. I can't even imitate you, Eddie. You're on your own. Anyhow, so <laughs> there, this African boy, you're in the United Kingdom and everything. And you guys, as a, as a cartel, decide that you're going yeah. to do Eddie Cardi at the O2 Arena. And so, obviously, yeah. you know, there was a lot of stuff that went out in the press. There was some good. There was some bad. There was a lot of like, hmm? Like, really? And yeah. then there was a news report that I watched, you know, as I was, I was researching everything. And in the news report, they basically said, oh, the O2 Arena is one of the most celebrated, you know, entertainment stages in the world. And you usually have to be a big name to have a show there. Um, you or know, Madonna, you. everything. <laughs> or do you? Yeah, the end of the question was like, oh, do you? And I can imagine <laughs> the stress that you guys were going through just yeah. trying to fill yeah. this. So how did you how do you get your mind past situations like that you know because um, you, I think I think you know it's multi-layered because it I mean we can't ex- you know everybody knows that you're African I think everybody knows you're African even close eyes we know um you know all of that and also the fact that you're a comedian and comedians don't you know fill out um arenas and being African yeah. and of course if you're African being black and everything talk to us about just the process of working towards the O2 arena you know it was Initially, never about selling out. Mm. Initially, it was about statement. Mm. We just felt that we were, at that time, we were screaming loud. Mm. And we were screaming the loudest. Mm. And still not being heard. Mm. You know, like um, young Africans. Because the, the clique was made up of majority young Africans. You know, my manager was a young Nigerian. Um, the people around me, you know, West Africans, East Africans. Now, we had different people. And, of course, some guys from the Caribbean as well, mm. which are still considered Africans. Mm. So it was very much like, you know what? We've done the, the Indigo 2, which was a smaller hotel. Yeah. In fact, the Indigo 2 was um, identified as the venue for the, every after party of, of Michael Jackson concert. Wow. And so, of course, the, you know, unfortunate situation happened. So that was a, a, an after party venue. So we... Mm took over the Indigo, and we we were the first to do comedy shows there, and, and we were turning them out. And it was just like, you know, we're doing all these new things, with, you know, constantly doing one-man shows and still not getting the recognition that we deserve. But at the same time, we knew that the audiences that were coming out, they, it was refreshing for them. It was mm-hmm. a sense of relief because, you know, you had this person who was very uh, audacious, as they said on that, um, they said on that that particular news report. So I, we had gumption. That's the first time I learned the word gumption. <laughs> I say, come and see how they are creating the creative work for me. <laughs> okay, but like literally, the outer arena was like we need to make a statement to let them understand that Africa is also able to, you know, we're able to go yeah. this far telling our own stories. We don't have to compromise. 
with it. It is very authentic. And we're sure that there is an audience. This audience is out there because it's like, how do we get the TV shows? How do we get the radio shows? How do we get to the mainstream? Um, there's only one way where you can't have to compromise. You can't have to play the game. And we just thought, like, we were very brave at the time. Like, we, we literally were, you know, a few brave um, young people from coming out of university mm. and feeling that we can conquer the world and just enjoying it. We were enjoying this new sense of relief. This new sense of freedom, like we can dance how we dance, we can speak to each other in our African accent and feel no way because you have to understand the Caribbeans at that, by that time were doing this though. They had, they were putting together their, their Caribbean accent. They loved their soul and their reggae, and it was it was amazing for them. And they were being celebrated. And you had nothing go carnival, you know, you, you didn't hide. Mm. In fact, you know, you, you had um, you, uh, non-Caribbeans, British whites that loved reggae and that scene, and people were mixing. So we didn't have that for Africans. Mm. Uh, um, the time I, the auto arena was a statement, and when you have people literally, you know, ridiculing the whole process, mm. yeah, because that's what it was. It, it was ridicule. Like when I watched yeah. that, I, I was trying to be politically correct, but when I watched it, I was like, I wow, know. we were ridiculed. Yeah, yeah, you were ridiculed. We were ridiculed because like, who are these? Who are these kids? That figure. First of all, who are these kids? Who is this non? Um, known comedian he's not run the circuit he's not gone through the, the right process mm. to, to happen where is his audience he doesn't even have an audience but what the mainstream failed to understand was that we had an audience but they always overlooked the underground audience they always overlooked it that's the that was the problem mm. so for me it was like okay so this is this is what right yeah it's gonna be one of those situations where literally we're going to show them that you'd be missing out there's an underground audience that you've been missing that come out in numbers, 2,000, 3,000 people. And we're going to show you them in the mainstream. But because we were so oblivious to the fear of the unknown, it was like we ignored it. Mm. In hindsight, when I look back, we were being ridiculed. The pressure was then that, you know, black people leave. Black people don't like buying tickets on time. That's yeah, the they don't show up. They're going to be late. Our people, yeah. yes. Our people are like, are you going to die the Cardi show? Mm, I don't know. You know, it's like in six months' time. But I, I don't know whether we'll be deported. We will still have our passports. We don't know if God will come. Jesus may come tomorrow. We can't plan that. Fight. That's our people. So yeah. it's like, we, when, when it was first announced, the shock of all, the excitement of all, we sold our pre sale tickets. Then there was this quiet period of no sales. Sure. And the venue, of course, is like, hey, you see, maybe you should cancel the show. Yeah. That's what they were waiting for. And it was just like, no, like how people take their time. And, but this is the thing. That public announcement of ridicule is what fueled a lot of support. Mm. Uh, all the world, the world, yeah, that would feel a lot of people were upset. And, and they said they wanted to prove right because they're now sided thinking, these guys, not only these people are not only talking about Eddie, they're talking about the rest of them. And that's how we got to the stage where, like, <laughs> that day, the O2, <laughs> it was like a million man march. Yeah, definitely. Sure, that's such a powerful way of actually describing it. And it's true. And I think that as Africans in general, once people ridicule us, then it's like you've just ignited something, you know. Let us, oh, insult, know. Let us insult our own together. But you, yeah. for yeah. what? Who are you? Who are you? Where's your village? My dad was upset every day. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. But, but, but actually, yeah, my dad, because it's funny because, like I said, we were blind. We couldn't, I felt the pressure in turn as an artist. Yeah. The pressure of we got to sell out. The pressure of our colleagues are watching because a lot of our colleagues were also confused because it was like that's a brave step. Nobody, nobody does this. Who are these people? Mm. But like that person, now we must 
justify. We must achieve. Mm. It was really hard. I went through a phase, but that's what a team is about. You know, I had people that I thought at the time were even braver than me. They, 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 they you know, extended my bravery. Yeah. And I was able to lean on them. Every time it was like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do this. They picked me back up. So that was, there was that internal battle. And, and that was happening as part of the team. But on the outside, we turned up for every interview. We were as enthusiastic as ever. And after one interview, another big interview would come that we find ourselves on certain TV stations or channels or shows that we never thought would be in a million years. Yeah. And, you know, it's almost like, remember, that's pre-Instagram. Please, you know, Pre, this, this yeah. Facebook is kind of there, but not. But YouTube is kind of there. But it's but, not. You know, we're yeah. not talking about nowadays where you know you can just upload stuff, send stuff, and the whole world goes crazy. We were really on a limb. I, you know, you know. I think I actually think I know how it matters because if I'm not mistaken, half of your internal crew is from Nigerian, and you know, Nigeria yeah. does not carry last. They're like, what? As if failing I is don't. not an option. It is not possible. I, the Lord will help. It's like, <laughs> I'm sure that you're Nigerian. Exactly. And you know, the thing, is, the thing is like, I feel like, you know, when I was in school, it's like everybody's always like, you had to know the kind of friends you needed. If I'm sure like yes. for you guys, when you're in the UK, you're like, everybody needs a Nigerian friend, yo. Like, they, they're going to carry you through. <laughs> They will fight you know, for you. We, we say what to say about Nigerians. Yeah? We but they're say, the ones who carry us. They're not having it. Like, listen, me, the, the idea was proposed to me. We, we always spoke about, you know, we should go bigger and better. And I was like, yeah, you know, we should go bigger and better. And then, you know, we, let's go to a, a 6,000 capacity. Bed, you know, no, let's go to a 25,000. Like, then I just, yes, we must, this is what we're going to do. Like, in fact, but you know, Nigerians have that thing of where wherever they go, they settle and they settle well. Mm. <laughs> people know that they have arrived, and then they redefine those people's history, yep. those people's culture, you know. And and having those guys as part of my team, I mean, you can just look at in terms of Africa, the comedy scene, you know, the people who have now kind of taken over the and the music scene, and it's, it's not a coincidence. Yes, yeah, yeah. people, people are forgetting that with the Nigerian modern day pop music industry. I swear it's only been, we can really, if we have to be real, it may be the last, maybe 10, 11 years, if that, mm. you know? Like, they achieve so much in a short space of time, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But they, they have a different way of pushing things. They have a different way of, of you know, and I learned, I did learn a lot from, because remember, I was also, I wasn't dealing with Nigerian men or Nigerian women. I was dealing with Nigerian boys and girls, like young, yeah. who were young. You know, like we were men in the, in the eyes of the law, but we were young. So they, they had that part of their DNA. They had seen people do it before them. So they put that fire from their home. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Now, now, absolutely. Now, Eddie, so if I can just interject there, just to talk a little bit, because you've just come back from South South by Southwest, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. And also when um there was the one Africa festival in the UK, you were... Yeah. You were the MC for that. You were there. I mean, literally your... your if I were to, another way of introducing you would be like, you know how CNN always has that, we were there, we were there. So when WizKid sold out the Royal Albert, uh, you know, theater, Eddie Cardi was there. Yeah. South by Southwest, <laughs> you know, when they were allowing Africans to come and share their art, Eddie Cardi was there. When Nas and Lauren Hill were touring, Eddie Cardi was there. You know, it's like literally your, you know, and it's, 
Don't you? You can seriously. You can use it. Use the joke, but please pay me the you know the royalties because you know, like I'm Ugandan. I, I want like, more money. I like it. I'll give you ten percent. You give me ten percent. Thank you. I will be sure to follow up. You know, <laughs> but it's like just everything. It's like you literally were there. You know what I mean? Even down to the mm-hmm. history of of your home country. You know, when Zaire became a DRC, although was it was there. from the you were there. Your whole story is like Eddie Cardi. I was there. What is your matter? Oh, I was God, there. You know, I really, I really, I'm, I'm, where's my, where's my, can somebody grab me a pen, please? I don't know why this pen is ever near me. When, when you need the pen. Idea. <laughs> Let me write this idea from this young lady. She's giving me a good idea. A very good there. idea. Oh. I, might, I might call one of my shoulders. I was there. I was there. You actually I should. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie, please, me, I'll be happy. Just be able to <laughs> say that I came up with it. But also, like, ah, I, 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 yeah. said, I said all that to say this. Currently in the world, you know, obviously we look at from everything that's happened with Black Panther, Wakanda forever, and everybody thinks it's their own African country. Even me, Wakanda is Uganda. I'm like, oh, say what you want. Uh-huh. So there's... <laughs> we can do this all day. Okay, fine. Fine, Congo, Zaire, don't even know your own country name. Anyway, so... <laughs> So, yeah, so now we also have a, a case where there's a lot of fashion that where Africa has become the center of, you know, fashion globally. And yes. then even mus- musically, you know, and entertainment, like um, especially with in Nigeria, like that's become the center of kind of global popular culture, you know. Now, with African comedians, do you what do you think their places on the international platform? Do you see the same trend happening with African comedians where globally, you know, um, the world is starting to be like, wow, you know, just like the world can't ignore um, African culture, African art, African music, African fashion anymore. You know, do you feel the same thing is happening with um, African comedians? Gosh, every com- uh, comedy show across America, Michael Blackson, Michael Blackson. You know, there's a focus on Michael Blackson. He, 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 he's, he's actually... Uh, um, you know, amongst one of the, some of the top um, comedians, black comedians in the United States, African or not, because it brings mm-hmm. something different. You know, like people may have their opinions of how he delivers the things he talks about, how you know how he comes across or whatnot. But he's still a trailblazer. You know, people, he's he's not being ignored uh, in, in, in that place. Then you have Trevor Noah. Mm. You know, it's not a coincidence him coming from South Africa. Once again, people will have their opinion. But the fact is, came from an African comedy scene, and now he's he's fronting one of the the, the biggest shows in America. So, like these things are real. And and if you look at people like the, the Basket Mouse, uh, you know, the the, the AY um, uh, comedians, you know, we now have Salvador from from Uganda, who's an I think I, I think Salvador. Is, and don't forget, Kansima like, and also is he leaving the woman Kansime out? Oh, is, is untouched gold, and yeah. I, I, they just they you just leave her alone, please. We like her where she. <laughs> I think even even Anne even Anne will tell you. Anne yeah. will tell you. I like Eddie. I like what I am. I don't want anybody to come near me to try and take me. She does not want it. Yeah, she doesn't right? want it at that, all. That's that's that. But she. This is the thing, right? You take Anka Sime and you produce the hell out of her. You pump all the money in the world. Mm. She's taking over the world. Like, mm. it's as simple as that. You know, but there, I think there is that fear also of allowing too much influx at the same time. We can't be having comedy. Then, then we have fashion. Now, then we have music. Then we have, like, because every department that we push out is proven right. Mm. It's a shadow of a doubt. And I think African humor... Is here to stay. I think African humor is poached a lot as well. People take our ideas mm. and they make it their own. Um, I think now we're, we're at a stage where the world is becoming bored of you know everything else being so repetitive. So they're now thinking, 
hmm, this African thing is serious. Every time it comes in, we really get excited. Let's see more of what they've got to offer. Mm. You know, so whenever we tell our stories, it's always coming from a different angle they never expect. I had, you know, uh, and after, every time I finished my joke, yeah. I don't you know, I have this joke where I say Africans have only, African women have only a few words to express themselves. Uh-huh. You're confused when you hear that, he has got a hair. He's agreement. Ah, ah, is shock. Yeah. You know, when you get people doing that, and then the joke finishes, and afterwards, straight away, the people who have never heard the same before now come to you and start talking to you like that. Yeah. It's, it's impact. Because we're full of substance. And I think all it is now, though, is we've got to stop waiting for the world. And I'm always saying this because, you know, the question that, as you asked, you know, do we see it being a mainstay? Do we see it taking over? It, it, it is already a mainstay because we are the mainstay. We are the map. You know, we, we're we not trying to put ourselves on the map. Like, we produce the hell out of ourselves. Yeah. That's what we've got to do. It's been proven over and over again. When we do step up as Africans, you know, the world starts listening. We don't need to get anyone's approval. Mm. We have the talents. We have kids in the diaspora who can come back home and implement what they've learned. You know, if you go against the plan, the plan will always work. Yeah. You have to be within your own plan. The plan was go, educate, come back and apply to the, the motherland. And we're able to, more and more, that's happening more and more, as you can see. Mm. So comedy is definitely going in the right direction. You know, you mentioned like, you mentioned a lot of um, African comedians that are doing well. And I think it's, you know, although like when you said the names and everything, I knew the names, but I didn't realize the impact that, you you know, comedians such as yourself oh, and Salvador and, you know, Anne Kansime and, you know, yeah. Michael Blankson and all them, the, the impact that they're having. Because, you know, comedy really does, you know, makes us laugh at ourselves, which is really great. Yeah. You know, it laughs at ourselves, but it also Absolutely. tells a very unique story. Uh, there's also somebody else that... um that that I you know I wanted to get your thoughts around because she did really well on the in the insecure series and all of that stuff you know Yvonne yeah. Ojori who's a stand up uh, yeah. yeah yeah I'm sure she's your friend you Eddie <laughs> please it's like I went through your Instagram or everybody's there but anyhow let me let me get back and respect myself so and I know she's your friend so don't lie so <laughs> uh-huh. I've not met Yvonne Okay. We'll meet each other at some point. We have mutual friends. But I've not met her yet. See, these are the things I don't like to hear. These people are like, we've not met her, but we have mutual friends. What do you think about her as a, as a stand-up comedian? And as part of, you know, the um, kind of the next leg of female, because, you know, I'm obviously a, a woman. So the next leg of female yeah. comedians that represent the continent, you know, coming forward. You know, the, the killer is we don't have enough. We don't have mm. enough female comedians coming out of the continent. Mm. Um, you know, I don't like to shy away from subject matters. I don't like to sugarcoat things. I don't like to that whole political correctness thing. You know, we just don't have enough. And it, it comes as a result of, um, you know, the, just the, the different cultural um, differences you have in Africa and the West uh, principles. And I'm, I'm saying we'll get it better, you know. Um, and that's the beauty of social media. Social media is able to show you the things that you may only maybe have heard of as a rumor, you're not able to see if you're, if you're mm. in the middle of, of, of um, South Africa, somewhere in the middle of Zambia or Angola as a Yvonne and you see um, how well she's doing, 
Like, and her stand-up is good. Her stand-up is great. And, you know, that's the reason why she's in the position that she's in. Mm-hmm. It's not a coincidence. You know? Good, yeah. And pay for, and then build up the work, and then your work is seen, and then you're given chance, and then doors open. It's, it is not a joke. So mm-hmm. she's one person that's definitely doing fantastically well. She's definitely going to open doors for more um, uh, comics to come around. But it's just beautiful. When you have a, I can see me, uh, you know, in, in, in Uganda, mm-hmm. and then you have Yvonne Oji doing a thing in, in, in America, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it just connects the dots. Yeah. Because it goes to show you, you know, you can be from Africa to the world. Anything is anything, anything is possible. And I think now is the best time for us, for those who who kind of shy away to put their faces up, to, to, to stick their neck out. Because every time you stick your neck out, the world now vibrates. Like, the mm-hmm. vibrations go so much further now because of, of, of the technology that we have, mm-hmm. because of the increase in communication that we have. Like, comedy is a powerful thing, as you said earlier. It's not just about making people laugh. Mm-hmm. I always say, for me, Comedy is a gift, but the purpose is what, uh, how I now, you know, represent Africa. You know, how I, I extend the, the narratives, how I change that story, not only for my younger siblings who have never been back home. Uh, in fact, I need to be taking them next year. And, you know, but how do I do that? Even paint a picture for my friends, break down stereotypes, create unity. Make us understand we are Africans as much as you know you're, you're Ugandan and 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 I'm Congolese. We are Africans. Mm. We're Africans first. Africans first. I love that. I think that's where we're going to wrap up the interview because Eddie Cardi, you talk more than an African president. You just I'm oh, kidding. I'm ready for you. You're Eddie, Mr. President of Africa, Mr. Universe. <laughs> <laughs> but jokes aside, Eddie, thank you so much for taking time out just to have a conversation, um, you know, on this podcast. And, you know, we're really just excited that you could have been, that you are a guest um, on the podcast because what we're thank really you. trying to do with, with, Africa, yeah, with Africa State of Mind is to really just celebrate people who are changing the African narrative, even if it is one laugh at a time. And you're definitely one of those yes. people. Um, Africa Day is thank coming you. up. I want to know what Africa Day means to you as Eddie Cardi, hashtag Mr. Congo Swag, hashtag I was there. Hashtag <laughs> I was there. I was there. I'm taking oh, that. I love that line. I love that line. Yeah. I'm telling you. Has, um, what does Africa Day mean to me? Africa Day means Monday to Sunday. I'm sorry. <laughs> we have not waiting for any day for it to be. Uh-huh. Some people sleep on Africa. Me, I don't sleep on Africa. I'm awake with Africa. You know, it's it, it, it's celebrating the fact that we're still here. It, despite of, you know, all the hidden treasures that people are trying to keep behind, we're still here. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we always bring it to the surface. And that's what it's about. It's always about, you know, screaming louder than everybody else. That we can't scream more. <laughs> <laughs> we know you can scream more. My, 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 my ogre is in the room also. He thinks you're very clever. He thinks you are very oh. clever, very oh, clever God, something. See, I was forced to go to school. <laughs> so there was no joy. My father said, if you don't go to school, you go walk around in Congo. Make it. So it was that hard. Even if you, because you have a degree, makes you very smart. Eddie Cardi. Eddie Cardi. Thanks so Again, much, Eddie. <laughs> and please, next time you're at CNN, call me. Give me a shout out on CNN. What's all this nonsense? Yo, you wanna, do you want to shout out on CNN? I want to no shout out on CNN, uh, but you need to message me before because you know it's different time zones. Say to me, watch, and then just give me a shout out. Say, so you know, you, like uh, Lee Kasumba uh, talks about um, Africa state of mind. Yeah, Say yeah, that. Yeah, what what Lee Kasumba said? Am I even my friend, my friend, I was there. Kuba, Kuba in there. Yes, you can, you can, because we're all Africans. Please, me, I'm the 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 African dream. What's your own? Thanks so much, Eddie. <laughs>
<laughs> My pleasure, cool. darling. Thank Take you care. so much. I had so much fun. Yeah, it was great. Take Thanks care. so much. Have a good day. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Africa State of Mind. I hope that you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as we enjoy putting it together for you. And once again, a big shout out to all of the amazing people um, from around the amazing continent of Africa, uh, you know, who are really doing their part with regards to changing the narrative. Don't forget that you can interact with us um, on our Twitter handle at Africa State Mind. You can also join the Africa State of Mind group on Facebook. And please remember to rate us um, on iTunes. Let us know how it is that you think that we're doing. And if you have any ideas for any guests or people from your particular country uh, within the continent of Africa that are really changing the narrative, please be sure to share it with us. That's all we have for time for today. My name is Lika Sumba, Africa State of Mind. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Africa State of Mind with Lika Sumba. Get it on iTunes now.